Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm thrilled today to have on the podcast Dr. Regina Blevins and to bring you a really fantastic interview that I was able to do. Uh, This is one I've been looking forward to a long time and one that I know you're going to thoroughly enjoy. We're going to jump into the interview uh, right away here. I do have a thought of the day, uh, something that's been on my mind a little bit, and this is a quote from Scott Adams, who many of you will recognize as the creator of the comic Dilbert. He's also kind of this polymath sort of guy. He's got lots of kind of interesting opinions on uh, investing and politics and all sorts of different topics. But the quote that I want to share with you today is this. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard goes something like this. If you want success, figure out the price, then pay it. It sounds trivial and obvious, but if you unpack the idea, it has extraordinary power. And I think that's something that I've found to be really true in my life that when I've set my mind to uh, a goal or, or seen something that I want to go after, trying to figure out you know, what's going to be required of me, and sometimes I don't know the answer and I need help figuring out what that price is that I need to pay. But ultimately, I feel like if you can get out there and take the necessary steps, put in the work, put in the effort, success is usually at the end of that road. So a great quote by Scott Adams. We're going to get right into our interview with Dr. Blevins after a quick word from the sponsor of today's podcast. This is Amy Demas of Communicate Excellence. As specialists, you have had detailed training, practice, and feedback to become experts in your skill. Why then do you wing it with the communication and phone skills of your administrative team? Think about it. Do you know what is being said at your front desk? Are you training to actual calls? Here is where Communicate Excellence makes a difference. I listen to the actual calls of your office and then coach to the individual needs of your team. Our one-on-one coaching sessions take your team members through focused lessons for the why and the how to accomplish the desired communication skills, while also providing you a detailed summary after each and every session. Find us at communicateexcellence.com for more information, as well as to receive your free handout called The Five Key Sections of a New Patient Intake Form. And come see us at our AAO booth. Dr. Regina Blevins started her career in dentistry in 1980 as a dental hygiene graduate of C.S. Mott Community College. She attended the University of Michigan, where she received her degree in dentistry. Her appreciation and love for the fine art of the cosmetic side of dentistry led her to pursue a degree in orthodontics at the University of Minnesota, where she received a master's of science and a certificate in orthodontics. Dr. Blevins enjoys staying up to date on the latest developments in orthodontics by maintaining a rigorous continuing education schedule and by following current orthodontic research. National speaking events on behalf of Invisalign and Align Tech is a passion for Dr. Blevins and has led her to teaching dental students at the University of Minnesota. When she's out of the office, Dr. Blevins enjoys living an active lifestyle and spending time with her husband and their four children. As a family, they enjoy doing yoga, taekwondo, Dr. Blevins is a black belt, and spending time in their backyard cooking, gardening, and relaxing. Dr. Blevins is an active member in her church and community and enjoys giving back to those who bring her so much happiness. Dr. Blevins, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. 
Hi, Lance. It's good to see you. And uh, it's been a dream of mine to be on one of your podcasts. So thank you. Well, it's been a, it's been a dream of mine to have you on. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to have you. And uh, I think our listeners are going to really get a lot out of this. How's uh, the weather up in uh, Minnesota? Are you guys warmed up at all? Well, I, t- I have to tell you, uh, we had a very late winter, but then it all broke loose and it was uh, crazy. When we left for spring break, we had 38 inches of snow and a week later we came back and most of that was gone. So it's been uh, very unusual, but I think we're on spring overload now because uh, it's all gone. It's muddy mess, but uh, we're surviving it. Yeah, I got in the last weekend of skiing. Uh, they got 16 inches of snow up uh, in northern Vermont this last weekend. But but down here in southern New Hampshire, it feels like we're, we're trying. We're trying to do spring as, as much as uh, New England can do spring. And I don't think that's our forte. But uh, we're eternally optimistic here. So we're hoping we're done. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I think we're we're gonna in New England we're we're a little bit less optimistic. We're, we're there's this Yankee pessimism that seems to prevail. <laughs> so, um, well, great. Let's let's dive right in here. Uh, I'd love to start this by talking a little bit about uh, your background in dentistry, which we heard in your bio. I would venture to say that not many orthodontists have ever been dental assistants or or hygienists. And let's maybe start by tell us a little bit about that. And, and what do you think doctors are generally clueless about when it comes to seeing things through the eyes of, of their assistants or other staff members? Well, uh, that's a great question to start with, because even before I went to hygiene school, I was an on the job trained dental assistant, which means at 16, I went to the office after school and did whatever the dentist needed to be done, whether that was emptying the garbage, cleaning the bathrooms, or picking up the dry cleaning in that day. (laughs) So I I saw myself in that role of being a support person for whatever would help the office and keep things uh, moving forward, you know, and if the dentist was running late, I would go pick the kids up after school. So, (laughs) and then graduating from high school, I got a scholarship to a community college that had three programs auto mechanic, cooking, or dental hygiene. So (laughs) I went to dental hygiene. And uh, I have to really credit one of my hygiene instructors about uh, halfway through the first year, he put a seed in my brain about going to dental school. And if the University of Michigan had not been right next door to the community college uh, where I went, and this was the University of Michigan Flint campus, Yes, where the water's bad uh, and everybody's a little embarrassed to say they're from. That's where I was from. So literally, I could go to hygiene school, walk across uh, the diag and take a night class for my prereqs for dental school. So I had like the sun and the moon and the stars all line up and, and got into dental school. But I think the real advantage in doing that is when I look at a process or a procedure and I'm going to ask my staff to help me with it, I know the struggles that they're going to have. And I know the realistic capabilities of the time management and the resources that they have to do something. So I think they really appreciate having the leader in the practice that can see it through their eyes. And I think we'd really work as a good team that way. Yeah. I just think that's a different take on things that 
you know, I, there, I've, I've seen it different ways. I've seen doctors that like yourself are trying to really understand how these things all work. And then I've definitely seen doctors that say, you know, you're kind of here to do whatever I tell you to. And, you know, that's probably a less effective means of, of leadership. Well, it's just a different way to get from point A to point B. And, and I would be lying if I didn't say I'd looked at an assistant and said, I'm running late and my kids need to be picked up from school. <laughs> Do you mind? Cause you're on the clock doing that for me. Sure. And I think if you treat your staff with respect and dignity, nine times out of, you know, nine, they're willing to go an extra mile for you. And, and that's a big part of our success in our practice, I think. Great. Well, tell us a little bit about your practice. I think you've got a little bit of a unique practice setup and situation. Tell us a little bit about, where you started in orthodontics and then how it's kind of evolved to where you are today. Well, it's kind of a unique story. And uh, from the female viewpoint and mindset, it evolved from having to have someone cover maternity leave for me. So I got out of school, I started an ortho practice and uh, started wanted to start a family. And uh, lo and behold, my child was due on Christmas Day. <laughs> Not easy to find somebody to cover you on and the Christmas break, because everybody knows that's a busy, very busy time for orthodontists. Right. But there was a recent graduate at the University of Minnesota that I didn't know uh, at the time, but she reached out to me because she had heard through the grapevine I was looking for someone to help cover my maternity leave. She, she did. Uh, I, I did deliver my daughter with a C-section early, uh, but this gal could give me three weeks coverage. And uh, so I took those three weeks. They were like gold. Uh, down the road, she asked me to cover a maternity leave for her, which I did graciously because I was so thankful of what she had done for me. And later, we decided like several years down the road, maybe three or four, to merge our practices. And at the time, we each had two. And we decided to make them one business entity. And part of the impetus of doing that was that she had been working for an orthodontist, kind of uh, covering his uh, vacations, things like that, and he was going to retire. So uh, we bought that practice as our fifth practice together. And that's kind of been the story of our growth. Uh, quite a few of the offices we have have been from retiring orthodontists approaching us, asking us if we want to buy the practice. I don't know what the climate is out east, but here in the Midwest, the, the graduates are coming out of school so far in debt that they can't go right out and get a loan and buy a practice. And so the retiring orthodontists, frankly, are having a hard time finding someone to transition their practices with. So Dahlia and I have kind of gotten the reputation for being able to absorb that and make it an easy transition for the retiring orthodontist. And at this point, we have 12 office locations and we have three associate doctors working with us. Wow, that definitely uh, seems like a lot to manage. And I guess the first question that always comes up, you know, when, when people hear about a larger practice like this is, what is your role and then how do you kind of spend your time, um, you know, between, you know, all of the different hats I'm sure you have to wear? How do you kind of balance all of that? Well, Dr. Delarancho, my uh, business partner, 
and co-owner in the practice, uh, she and I are very different and we wear two totally separate hats and it's sort of evolved that way over time. She's much more the creative person as far as office design. Uh, she's very much a savvy business person as far as negotiating uh, leases, contracts, things like that. I'm a total linear thinker. I'm going to develop a protocol for brackets and wires and try to scale a model, develop protocols for aligners and treatments for that. So we're very much a yin and yang that way. Now, that's not saying we don't ever butt heads, mm -hmm. but we've kind of gotten a respect for what hat each other wears. And, it, and it's been a good fit for us for the last 27 years. So I think uh, out of that respect, there are sometimes things that I'll defer to her or she'll defer to me. Now, part of your question was, how do we manage this 12 practice location? And for a while before we added associates, we would manage it by doing a half a day at one office, driving to another office and doing half a day. But recently, with the acquisition of associates, we're building a hub model where each of the doctors will go to three offices and they'll have their own set of dental staff at each hub office. But we'll have a group financial person, a group HR person, uh, and things like that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty creative. Do you, do you spend a lot of your time... With management, do you do yourself see patients? Um, you know, what, what percentage of the time do you do each of those? I see patients three or four days a week. So I'm very much a hands-on orthodontist still, yep. but probably a half a day a week, not necessarily in a full chunk of time. I'm meeting with an HR person to talk about staffing issues, or I'm meeting with a sales representative to talk about what our bracket and wire process is or what our Invisalign process is and how they can help us enhance that. Right. And uh, Dr. Delarancho is also meeting with landlords or people like that, finding out what our next lease uh, segment might be and how we can negotiate contracts for that. Great, great. Let's transition a little bit. I, I want to talk about something uh, for which you're well known and that you've spoken on, and that's you know, incorporating uh, aligners into your orthodontic practice. And I think you've kind of really been, I, I guess, out there pushing the boundaries forward in terms of, you know, Invisalign Teen, Invisalign First, some of these more kind of creative or, or innovative processes. What have been some of the strategies that you used to successfully incorporate this into your practice, to market these to patients? What's been your experience in this area? Well, stepping back just a little bit, I got to tell you that uh, bringing it into the practice for teens and things like that, like all orthodontists, sometimes you have a patient that sort of forces your hand in a certain direction. And I am known as a very kind-hearted orthodontist in the community. So I get patients that come in that have special needs. And I'm trying to figure out creative solutions to uh, help them get through this process. And one of the group of patients that I see are Asperger's, autism type patients that might have sensory uh, perception issues. 
And brackets and wires were really hard for these patients because uh, every sensation so magnified. And so some of the teen cases that I did early on were in an effort to make this process a little easier for some of these patients. And lo and behold, I was blown away by some of the results that we were getting on these patients. And I thought, wow, if I can do this in this population that's considered difficult to treat, what can I do in our other population of patients? And that's kind of how that spread and grew in our practice. So after that, I started looking at every bracket and wire process going, could I do that easier with uh, aligners. And in a lot of cases, yes. Can I do some dental alveolar expansion in a phase one case where I only need four or five millimeters of expansion? I don't need eight to 12. And lo and behold, yes, it worked very well. So that that was the evolution of that. Yeah. I have some experience certainly with uh, Invisalign Teen. It's, I would say it's still a small part of our practice. And I'm curious how you strike that balance between, you know, you're, you're, you've got a new patient. How do you decide whether this is going to be a, you know, a fixed appliance case or this is going to be a clear aligner case? I mean, how do you make that decision? Well, some of that, I have to tell you, I have a bias and I'm going to be completely upfront about that. Coming from a hygiene background, whenever I see a bracket and wire patient in the practice and I see gingivitis or I see plaque accumulation around the braces or I see decalcification, I'm trying to figure out a a better hygiene, an easier hygiene way to treat that patient. And the answer that comes to mind is removable appliances. Now, in the past, removable appliances have been uncomfortable and bulky. But aligners, at this point, offer a kind of cool solution to that. They're custom-fitted, they're small, they're comfortable, they're removable for hygiene things. I think the trick is not if they will work, because I have enough cases under my belt now that I know it will work. The art is motivating the patient to do what they need to do to get them to work. (laughs) And one of the analogies that really strikes a chord with the teen group is to ask them if they're in sports. And where I'm going with this is that even if they say no, I'll say, well, you know, in sports, everybody has a coach. And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, I'm your coach. And I'll say, they use equipment like hockey sticks, basketballs, whatever their sport is in. And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, I'm the coach. This is your equipment. And you, guess what, are the player. And as a coach, I can't go out on the floor and shoot the basket for you. I can't get on the ice and shoot the puck in the net for you, kick the ball into the soccer goal. Only you can do that. So your responsibility is to listen to your coach and use the equipment in the manner that it was meant to use, which means you got to practice if you're going to be good, which means you're going to wear your aligners, you're going to do X, Y, Z with your rubber bands, et cetera. 
And that has been so resonating that the kids leave with a smile on their face because I asked them at the end if they know what a franchise player is. <laughs> and they never do. And then I have to explain to them that a franchise player is like, let's say in Minnesota, it's Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. Or it's um, Michael Jordan. And, and you, until I can get the lights go off that somebody they recognize, I'll say, that's a franchise player. That's the one everybody comes to see that the coach is super proud of. You're going to be my franchise player. And they always go out with a grin on their face. Yeah. So the art of motivation is key with the teens. I think that's a great point. And, uh, you know, I always tell my patients, too, that orthotics isn't something we do to you. Obviously, it's something you know, we do with you. And, you know, it's not like when you go get your appendix out and they knock you out and the doctor does whatever he does and you wake up. Two hours, uh, it's over, right? Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wish it was like that. No. But it's not. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're right, whether it's a fixed appliance case or an aligner case, compliance certainly is the biggest determinant of success. So let me ask another question about, about clear aligners, which comes up frequently. Is this debate between the increase in lab costs and maybe unfamiliarity with some of the processes involved in uh, aligner therapy versus, you know, on the other side, perhaps there's some increased efficiencies there, uh, increased revenue per visit. You know, we kind of hear these two competing theories and, and I'm curious how you kind of balance those out in your mind. Well, that's a, that's a, a fun question for our practice because when I was making the case to my business partner about doing aligner therapy, the big palm plant was lab fee. Yep. And it was hard to get past that. And so uh, we did two things. We made a commitment that if we were going to do it, we were going to be experts at it, learn to do it really well, and we were going to do enough of it to get it at the lowest price. That was on one side of the table. On the other side of the table, we were looking at cost per visit, and we wanted to make sure that we had an efficiency and we were actually seeing the patients maybe on a more spread out or longer treatment visit interval. So we actually measured it. And the agreement that we made was that if the data said we made less appointments and we had the lab fee at the lowest and our cost per appointment was better, then we would go all in. And lo and behold, the data that we did for our practice came out that our profit per visit with aligners was much more than it was with our fixed appliances. Now, part of that was our visit when we saw someone on a fit assessment visit was half the time for a bracket and wire uh, adjustment appointment. So when you really looked at it, not necessarily even by appointment, but by how many minutes a patient was in the office, we found uh, Invisalign or aligners to be much more profitable. You know, I this is a, a thing I can't quite, you know, wrap my head around because it does seem like yourself and, and other people have who have really gone all in with this have done extremely well and and the numbers definitely seem to work out. You know, on the other hand, I, I hear from people who maybe can't do the volume or 
you know, I, I don't know what it is. Well, you have to have the capacity of patients that need to come in. And I'm fortunate that I'm in a metropolitan area where there's a lot of patients. Yeah. Now, if you were in a rural area and you had a very limited patient pool, this may not play out the same. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's it's kind of an interesting thing. On the other hand, you know, I haven't heard yet from people who have really gone all in on Invisalign and then dramatically cut back. You know, I've, I've heard that with people who have done, for instance, like SureSmile. There's people who've kind of gone all in and then maybe said, oh, that's not what we want to do. Perhaps there's going to be someone who, who decides to go retreat back to, to fixed appliances from being all in with aligners. But, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard that yet. This, this I think, is a, kind of one of the real key things is how it fits into our business model, you know, how the pricing works. And, and everyone, I think, is trying to figure out how that applies to their own practice. Well, I think once you get used to seeing patients and it, the tipping point is probably more than 40%. Once your practice is more than 40% aligners, you start having days where you look at your schedule and your what you're doing and say, I can see more patients. Right. And you start adjusting your schedule. You're at a point where Invisalign's lab fee is lower. So you start realizing a cost savings on that. And then there's this magical thing that, and I don't want to call it magic, but it feels magical, where you start having this word of mouth that you're experts in that area and you are marketing, but your patients start marketing for you. Right. And uh, that starts driving more business in, which is really cool and fun. Definitely. I want to ask you also about another area where I think you're, you know, maybe trying some innovative approaches, and that's with uh, new patient processes. I think you've done some different things to increase your efficiency and maybe convenience for patients. What things have you tried and what have you learned about what works and what doesn't when it comes to, you know, these creative patient onboarding processes? Well, um, one of the things that happened to us when we were at this point without our associates and we were doing these half days at offices, we didn't have enough of uh, doctor time to see new patients. I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? You've got new patient appointments that want to happen and you don't have doctor time to see them. So we have some rock star treatment coordinators. So we decided to pilot a program where the patient would come in for the very first visit and see a treatment coordinator. Because what we were finding is that if we push them out weeks and weeks, then sometimes we lost the patient altogether. But if they could get in within 48, 72 hours or so, we had a much better conversion rate. So we had them come in and see a treatment coordinator, uh, get a set of photos, do a scan and a simulation, and much to uh, my ego's uh, (laughs) bruising of my ego, we found that the patients didn't, always care if there was a doctor there or not, okay? So what they really wanted to know is, am I a candidate? How much would it cost? And how long is it going to take? And these seasoned treatment coordinators were, I mean, they already knew before we say something what we're going to say anyway. So they were giving them tentative information 
And then they sometimes in real time would send me photos at another office and I would rubber stamp or tweak what they would say and uh, they'd let the patient know. And certainly within 24 to 48 hours, they'd get a follow-up with doctor input on what we were going to do. And a lot of times these patients would sign contracts without ever even meeting me. Now that's a blow to the ego, but I got over. <laughs> okay, the risk that you run when you do this, and, and it's been very popular, but the risk that you run, and it has happened a couple times, is that when you go to deliver your aligners and you finish taking the records and do a thorough exam, they need other work done. Right. And a couple times I've had to say, I can give you this aligner as a trainer aligner. But you need to see a dentist or your family dentist needs to look at this. And I can't do any more than that until you get this screening process completed. And really, it doesn't happen that often. So I made the mental decision to not treat the masses based on one or two exceptions, but to treat the masses with what generally happens and then deal with the exceptions as they come up. (laughs) That is a a mental trap that we sometimes get ourselves into. It takes a, a leap of change of thought, but I'm not doing anything I think that's dangerous. I'm still doing a thorough exam. I'm still taking a full set of x-rays and things like that. And actually, sometimes these patients are so motivated to get the rest of the aligners that they're in a hurry to find a dentist and get this stuff taken care of. I agree. We don't we don't do exactly the same thing you do. You know, our exams are scheduled when, when I'm in the office, but I do have a very experienced treatment coordinator. And I find a little bit like what your experience is that uh, the more I've empowered her to do things, you know, and, and, and in some ways, the less I've involved myself you know, there's, there's certain patients that really have responded to that. You know, a lot of times by the time I go in, the treatment coordinator is already presented. Oh, here's the expander. Here's the braces. Here's this. And, and I kind of come in and wave at them. and You bless them and get the heck out of the room, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. We do. I do a super brief clinical exam, um, but the, the, the work there is done. So I do think that there's a lot of promise to that model. Um, it seems that you're not afraid, though, to try something new, to go all in with, with a new system. And when you're doing this, how do you kind of get yourself you know, in, in the mindset to try something new? And then if, if it's not working, how, how do you know when it's not working? How do you know when you have to reassess things? I think sometimes we kind of do this paralysis by analysis and you, you don't seem to suffer from that. Well, um, I don't. But I do have a whole drawer full of things in the office that I've tried that that I didn't like. So, you know, we've all suffered setbacks and, and failures and things like that with different things, but I'm certainly not afraid to offer my patient a solution when I think that it's warranted. And like I said, with the aligners, uh, some of the special needs patients force me out of my comfort zone box. But I, I also have this tempering person in my life uh, that's the other orthodontic partner she won't let me do anything that's too uh, dramatically crazy, but. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you like to tinker. Maybe maybe the auto mechanic program, you maybe you would have excelled in that as well. I, I might have. You know, my father was a mechanic, so maybe it's in my gene pool, but I never get bored, Lance, and I'm constantly looking at things. And one of the new things that I'm looking at right now 
is some of the dental monitoring things. And I think there's a lot of promise in that. I give every patient that has aligners my cell phone number. And one of the things that I tell them to do is if they're having any issue with an aligner fit, to text me their name and send me a photo, okay? So I've been doing sort of a casual, cheap version of dental monitoring for a couple years now. But now I see there's a process where you can do it in a systematic way and maybe better than kind of the shoot from the hip way I'm doing it. But uh, we've got technology that we can lever- uh, leverage, and I think we're remiss not to take advantage of it. I mean, how would we all feel if we were still rewinding our VHS tapes, right? <laughs> That's, I haven't thought about that in a while, but you're right. I think I said something to my kids the other day about a cassette tape or a videotape, and, and we had a whole conversation about what the heck tape was. Well, one of the funniest things I've seen on uh, Facebook was a father taping his two sons trying to use a rotary phone, okay? (laughs) And uh, I I just think that our orthodontic profession's a lot like that, that man is moving at lightning speed right now. And part of the challenge is staying up with how we're using technology uh, to advance our patient care. I hope our profession is progressive enough that we we don't get left behind by some of these other companies that are leveraging technology to take it out of our hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, it seems like you're maybe at a place where other orthodontists aspire to be, you know, several years from now. You, you mentioned dental monitoring, but are there other things that, that you're looking at as coming up as, as the future of orthodontics, things that uh, are on your radar for the next five or 10 years? Well, I have an interesting idea that I've been uh, playing with, but to me, sometimes I think uh, access to care is an issue. And I have a real passion about bringing health care to, to families that uh, don't necessarily have the private school education and some of the other privileges that, you know, a lot of our clientele has. Uh, So I've been toying with the idea of a uh, mobile care system where maybe a van goes out, has a hygienist and an assistant that drives it, and they give cleanings, they take scans, I develop a treatment plan with aligners, and then they take these aligners uh, and deliver them to these kids out in these rural areas that can't get care. And we can bring, you know, doctor-supervised orthodontic care to families that wouldn't necessarily be able to get it if we didn't do something like that. So, yeah, I've got some outside-the-box thoughts. They may not necessarily be the biggest money-making thoughts, but sometimes I think it's about uh, what you give, not what you get. Sure, sure. If uh, you had, you know, one of your kids, I'm not sure what your kids' interests are in terms of uh, career or or if, if you were to give advice to them or to someone who's considering orthodontics as a profession, um, what would you say about of where we're at? And what advice would you have for someone who's, who's just getting started, who's coming out of residency with, uh, you know, a half million dollars in student loans? Well, um, I do have a daughter that's a freshman dental student. Okay. Okay. 
And so one of her concerns is, will I get into ortho school or won't I? And I have told her that she's got one of the best teachers of uh, some of the orthodontic techniques right in her own family. So don't worry about that too much. (laughs) Although I really value the credentialing, I think that there's so many people that can be served that we're not reaching that there's enough business really to go around for everybody. Uh, And I also have a son that's graduating from dental hygiene school. And both of them, I like to tell that give. If, If you give, you will get. It will come naturally. So I want them to have a giving nature and a giving heart. The debt situation is huge for the residents. I I teach at the University of Minnesota, and I hear through casual conversation what these kids are coming out of school with in debt. And whenever they ask me about that, this is the advice I give them. Your first five years, don't go crazy with the money. Live very, very modestly. You're still going to live better than most, but don't go out and buy the fancy car. Don't go out and buy the big house. Focus on debt reduction first, and then you'll have a lifetime to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But sometimes I think they've gone to school so long that they can't delay that gratification just a couple more years to work on reducing some of the debt. But I come from a very conservative financial family, Uh, background. So that's my advice is uh, you're still going to live very comfortably. Just don't go crazy with it right away. Great. Great. Well, Regina, this has been a blast. I can't believe, you know, how, how the time has gone here. We're going to wrap up with our Elevate Express 8. I'll ask you some uh, quick questions and we'll get some. Now, I've heard you do this on your other podcasts. This makes me really nervous. Yes, good. Well, this is maybe maybe we'll get some, some good here uh, out, out of the crunch time. But uh, let's dive right in here. What's your go-to treatment for full-step class 2 patients? I like Invisalign with distalization and class two elastics, depending on whether they're mandibular deficient or not. If they're mandibular deficient and they're growing, I'll do the Invisalign with mandibular advancement feature. What's your standard retention protocol? I like to use a uh, suck down type Essex retainer. I'm past the point of really liking bonded uh, wires because they're fraught with repairs. Okay. Who are your role models or mentors? Oh, boy. My father, because he had an incredible work ethic, orthodontically, uh, Jim McNamara, even when I was a dental student and he was my histology teacher, he had a passion for orthodontics that was unparalleled. Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Something you wouldn't want to practice without? Oh, come on. That's that's a no-brainer. Invisalign clear liners and my bracket is Damon Bracket. Okay. All right. That sounds good. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? That's the toughest question because I love to travel. But a few years ago, our whole family went to Bora Bora and we rented a house and we lived in this house for two weeks and we floated on very calm bathtub water, ocean water that you could see like an aquarium, right, while you were floating. Uh, And my husband's a fabulous cook. uh, So we had wonderful meals every night. And that would probably be my best vacation. That sounds pretty great. What's one great book that you've read recently? Well, I can't actually say I read it because I'm listening to it. 
but it's the four disciplines of execution, which basically tells you as a leader, if you want to make a change, how to go about making the change. Because one of the big things when you make a change is the long-term follow through and keeping the change going. And sometimes the reason that doesn't happen is we're not executing. We, we've got a great idea, but we don't execute it correctly. Awesome book. Yeah, sounds like, sounds like that'd be right up your alley and something we could all uh, benefit from. What's one area of orthodontics that you would like to learn more about in 2019? Well, I'm looking at some research projects at the University of Minnesota, looking at some of our pre-treatment scans and post-treatment scans. And I'd really like to learn what we're doing factually, how much expansion we're getting, how much rotation do we get per aligner uh, and different things like that. So uh, I know anecdotally what Align says we do. I know kind of what I see in my practice, but I would like to actually measure it. Yeah, that would be that would be fascinating. I'll I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Well, Regina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast for uh, sharing part of your evening with us. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you and talk with you uh, here here online. And, and I hope we get to meet in person sometime soon. Oh, we'll make sure that happens. Are you going to the AAL? I will be there on, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Well, let's make sure we say hi. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Have a great night. You too. Thank you, Lance. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 